Hello and welcome along to the On The Whistle podcast. I'm your host, Zayn Nabi, and today we have a very special show for you. We will be showcasing an interview with a living and breathing African football legend. Janine van Beek, she's the captain of South Africa. She's led the team for over a decade, and she's the second highest capped international for men and women's football. She grew up in the suburbia of Johannesburg, but had to leave the comfort of her area because no girls were playing football. So she ventured into South Africa's townships where she was able to play the sport that she loved. It's a fascinating interview and was conducted by our very own a newly minted women's football editor at large. What a mouthful. Fredoz Munda. Fredoz, I know you're an award-winning journalist. You're based in Cape Town. You've covered the World Cup in South Africa and you covered the uh, African Cup of Nations in 2013. Um, you're also very well known uh, for your cricket writing and broadcasting and work with ESPN. It's a pleasure to have you join Africa's Biggest Bri. Tell me, why are you most excited to join the pod? What lens will you bring? Thank you so much, Zane. Well, I'm most excited because I've got the best title ever. That's the most words anyone's ever used to describe <laughs> me. But, uh, so that's cool. But yeah, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm mostly a cricket writer. And it's a little known fact that I started my career about 16 years ago, initially as a football writer. So I was part of the Wits Journalism School program. And my first commission Very story cool. was a match report on uh, Bidvest Wits, I'll have you know, versus I can't even remember who, but uh, it was... Uh, <laughs> wasn't like it memorable, was it? Come on, you got a name. Very memorable. Who, who, who was the most talented footballer on the field? Give us that. <laughs> it was Energy Morambadoro, who was from Zimbabwe and, and playing at Wits and studying there at the time. Uh, I didn't do too much then, uh, very shortly after that, worked with you, in fact, at the E! News Channel, which was uh, South Africa's first 24-hour news channel. And we did a lot of crazy things there. And then, yeah. Come you know why I'm laughing? It's been so long, I forgot we worked together at ENCA. <laughs> I really, I, I forgot. telling people, that's how I know you. But yeah, that is how I know you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess, I mean, what's really happened is uh, I covered the the Women's T20 World Cup, which is the Cricket World Cup, mm -hmm. which was in, in the Eastern and Western Cape this year. And I've covered women's sport sort of on the periphery over the last five or six years. But this World Cup just completely energized me. South Africa reached the final, which honestly nobody would have predicted at the beginning. And just to see the, the levels of professionalism in the women's game. At the same time, Banyana Banyana were crowned WAFCON champions. I don't know, that doesn't sound cool, hey, WAFCON champions. African champions, let's say. <laughs> so I just thought, hell, you know, we've got, we've got this burgeoning brand of success for women's sport. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm a great listener to the BBC Women's Hour, so that's giving away something about me. But um, their power list was also women in sport, and they've been covering a lot of women in sport. And I thought, you know what, this is my, this is my area. Yeah. I want to get back into covering football. Uh, I would like to try and cover women's football. And I, and I specifically want to unearth stories from the global south, which I think is so different to what's happening in what, the global north. What, 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 100%. And, and not to talk yeah. about you in any way, but the very foundations of our podcast were to give Africans an opportunity to have discussions about things we're passionate about and give us an opportunity to shape that narrative. Exactly. And I just think that the conversations in, in especially like, let's take the England women's football team, for example, which are, you know, currently about 
about ACL injuries and what's mm. causing those. Uh, but also a lot of conversation around women's health in football, around perception. Those are not discussions we're really having in Africa. We're, we're still mm -hmm. at how do we get paid? So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of what I want to bring to this. You know, women's, women's sport is, is going through something really exciting. It's a revolution of sorts. Uh, it's also professionalizing so quickly that it is resulting in a lot of overuse, a lot of injury, a lot of overexposure. For, for women who maybe are, are just taking the first step and suddenly they find themselves well into the deep end. And uh, that's what I'm wanting to cover. So I was very excited when you were happy for my idea. And I'm hoping to, you know, bring you, I want to say regular, but, you know, those are dangerous words. So semi-regular interviews with, with Africa's, hopefully some of Africa's best and most interesting female footballers, but also, you know, really cover issues. Because I think that's where you, you stand out to me in that, you know, as we grew up saying, mm. no, no normal sport in an abnormal society. And uh, sport is not sport. It's more than the game. It's, it shows us the absolute best in the world and it makes us think about the absolute worst. So, you know, let's do everything. You know, let's cover the full range. And that's what I'm here to do. So poetically done as the writer you are, our new <laughs> women's football editor at large. Um, bringing it back to the fascinating interview you did with Janine, we're in our WhatsApp group. We're all talking with our living and breathing legend, Courtney Fries, who's not on the pod today. And you were telling him that you actually developed a girl crush on Janine. Why is that? Oh, she's just such a lovely person. Like, just speaking to her, I mean, first of all, to, to hear about a white South African going into a black township in the 90s really fascinated me. You know, th th we had this like Swat Kafar, everybody was scared of what would it be like to mix with with black people. I was the first child of color at my school. And in fact, some of the white families took their kids out of the school because they didn't want them mixing with the likes of me. So to see someone like Janine, who is, I guess, white and middle-class go into a township and then learn the culture there. She even called it learning the different language of the way that people spoke about the game there. Immediately I related to her. Um, her stories of, you know, work, dropping out of school, uh, working, at various schools coaching you know just trying to earn some money finally getting a salary of football she's down to earth she's humble she is phenomenally successful I mean the, the things she's done and the things she still wants to do are amazing but most of all she's getting back she set up a football club right here in South Africa she is trying to give visibility to women in the game she is passionate. She believes in it. Like, I wanted to say to her at some point, listen, don't take this the wrong way, but can we be friends? Like, can we hang out sometime? So uh, maybe when she watches this, she's going to be like, sure, I'm never speaking to that one again. But, uh, <laughs> she's cool. I just, she's so inspiring. She's a, she's a true South African sporting hero. Well, for those, you're a friend of mine. You're a friend of the shows. You're now, I'll, I'll say it for a third time. <laughs> our women's football editor at large. And we're looking forward to the amazing conversations, interviews, and perspectives you'll bring to us. And we love hearing from our community out there. So guys, please don't forget, let us know what you think of our new football editor at large. Let her know some stories you'd like covered in the women's game and beyond. Um, so hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at OTW underscore podcast. And you can always find us in YouTube and Facebook by simply searching for the On The Whistle podcast. And if you're listening to this on whatever platform you get your podcast or watching on YouTube, leave a rating, leave a review. Honestly, it helps people find the show and helps us pay for those the big money that she earns. Um, <laughs> but without further ado, for those, thank you for making your debut. 
You've scored a banger with Janine. And for those listening out there, enjoy the podcast. We're going to play it for you right now. So Janine, um, thank you so much for taking the time to to chat to me today. I mean, this is going to be incredible for for people who want to know more about about women's football. And I guess I want to start at the beginning. And I've done some of my homework on kind of. In fact, you grew up not far from me. I'm from Bedford View, and and you're from Germiston. So <laughs> that that's pretty cool. Yeah, Germiston, Alberton, Edenvale. I've been all over the place. You know it, you know it. And I know Score Metal, where you started off, because um, I used to score for their cricket club a, a long time ago. Um, really? <laughs> small world, hey? Wow. Um, very but, small. Yeah, C- can you tell me kind of how, how that started? I mean, you, you would have started off with boys, you know, like so many girls do. And and what was that whole mm-hmm. process like to the point where you, you got to playing for the national team? Yeah, well, started playing in the in um, our garden with my my cousins. I grew up in a football family environment. Um, my uncles, my cousins, all played football, um, except my parents. They were not very athletic at all, um, and that's how I started playing football. Got my interest from it uh, from my, my from my uncle's side. Always on the side of a football pitch, watching my cousins play football. Um, and every school holiday, I had my cousins over, I had friends over playing football in the garden. And eventually grew up um, playing in a boys' boys club, um, only club. I mean, as you mentioned before, I think girls from our generation that are, that grew up playing football always started with boys because there weren't many opportunities, there weren't many girls partaking in the sport. Um and just played with the boys from the age of five up until 14, where I really had to go and seek for a football club uh, that was woman only in a football league, which was very difficult in the area that I came from. Um, you know, you had your, if I can say, your white girls that that with, that played, you know, hockey and netball mm. and, and so on. And uh, it were the, the, the sports that I played, but my love was always football. And um, had to go into the, the township areas where the huh. where football was a lot more popular in the African communities. And um, sure. I headed my way to Springs um, in the east of Johannesburg yeah. um, in a little township called Quatema. Um, sure. And that was... Thanks to Fran Yilson-Smith, the former um, yeah. technical director of South African Football Association. Um, she watched me play uh, on numerous occasions with the boys. And when we finally reached out to her to try and get a team, a women's team to play for in a women's league, she that this was the nearest team that I could sure. go and play for. And um, yeah, it was difficult at first being the only white girl in this you know, this league, yeah. um, it was called the Sun, Sun Lum League back then, if I remember correctly. And um, yeah, it was difficult, you know, being the only white girl, um, having to learn the different um, culture and yeah. background, um, different language that was spoken. Um, sure. And it was really difficult to fit in at first. But, you know, I was welcomed at first with, with open arms because they accepted 
me coming into the community respected me for coming into the community not being afraid um although i was slightly a little bit <laughs> at first i was very young i was 13 14 years old i've sure. never seen such living conditions in my life before yeah, yeah. um so it was frightening but you know it 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 made me realize how privileged i actually was mm. um growing mm. up and what i had um sure. and yeah that's where it all started um in that league and i was selected um one out of 21 girls um to go sure. and um be it at the high performance center in pretoria um where fran yilton smith was the one that actually mm-hmm got all the girls together together the talented ones out of the the country to go and stay there and it was almost like a football academy and school okay. and that was where the under 19 um junior south african junior team was selected and then from there having played there got selected for the the senior women's national team in 2005 mm-hmm. and yeah here i am and having played for so many years with the national team and served the country for so many years uh, it's been a, a quite a journey um, and an experience to to be where I am today yeah and what you say is so interesting because a lot of the sport that I cover is about black players going into a white environment and feeling awkward you know cricket rugby those types of things but but I mean yes. this is the opposite of that so did, did you feel I mean you, you say it was difficult but did you feel very othered or was it like, wow, this is the country I'm, I'm in. It's a, a black majority country and I want to be with these people. Yeah, I mean, I, at first, uh, you know, I thought that it, I was one of very, very few white girls that played mm-hmm. football because there weren't many in the boys' leagues that I played with. I think maybe identified one or two and those one or two actually joined me at the High Performance Centre. Okay. So it was three white girls out of 21. Um, sure. And that was it. So I really didn't think that there were so many uh, white girls that took interest in 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 the game. Um, mm. And yeah, it it was it was strange at first, um, you know, because we all, we all had had different views on on life. Mm. And as I said, you know, they they lived in their little community communities. They they some of them didn't have any shoes or football boots. Sure. And here I was, you know getting football boots every second month, third month, wow. that whenever I wanted, you know. Um, so it wow. just really brought me back down to earth and realized that these girls, without the resources, without the equipment, they still love the game and could give their best no matter what environment they were in. Sure, yeah, incredible. And, and I mean, I guess then from there, you know, did any of them go on to play professionally with you? And and when you went into the national team, was it similar or, or were girls quite well resourced? No, I think having played in the league and being identified in the league already as the swag girl playing with us or against us, um, I was well respected already going into a high performance centre. Um, I was already profiled as a player, which made it a lot easier for me, although it wasn't easy staying with with other people around me, I was a, I'm still am a very big family person. I love to have my family around me all the time and being 16, 17 years old and going into a high performance center, almost like a boarding school, something Mm -hmm. that I wasn't used to. I really couldn't cope. I only stayed there for six months. Whereas with some of the girls that I stayed with and went into 
they stayed for up to four years. Um, and that's something I couldn't do because wow. I needed my family with me for all the time. And they made sure. it really difficult because they didn't want to give us the same privilege of having our parents that live nearby sure. yeah. to come and visit us. Whereas mm. the girls that had parents from all over the country couldn't do that. So they restricted parents from coming to visit um, all of us. So we only had... Uh, we were only able to see our parents once or twice a month sure. over the weekend. And mm, I, mm. that's something that I couldn't, couldn't deal with and unfortunately stepped out. And, oh. you know, I was, I was told um, that if I had done that, then I would um, jeopardize my opportunities playing for the national team. And sure. um, it was obviously a big decision that I had to make, but I'm always one to make a decision, whatever's going to make me happy. <laughs> and at that time um, I, you know, chose my family and I thought, you know, football will eventually take me somewhere, whether it's in the national team, whether it's abroad. Um, at that time I had big dreams, although I didn't know much about football being played abroad because it wasn't really expo exposed mm. as much um, but I knew that there were clubs, there were academies, mm, Arsenal mm. academies, and that was a big dream that I that I had of playing abroad one day. So it didn't really stop me from just, you know, stepping out of that environment and continue to work hard and, sure. you know, still had, was very hopeful that I would eventually get somewhere. Yeah. So when did you first get a, a contract or like earn some money off football? Or when did you think, hey, I've got a career here? Well, hey, that didn't come very early in my career. That's why I tell many young girls today that, you know, success doesn't have to come at a young age. Um, yeah. And that's something that I work towards as many times. I mean, I don't even have a matric to this day because sure. of football. There's many times that I came in and out of um, wow. football camps with the national team, missed a lot of exams. And again, it's choices that I make for myself. Sure. Um, and... Um, I have a grade 10, I think the standard eight back then. Okay. Um, and that's all I had because of football. And um, sure. it was a risk that I took and I, I won't suggest it to any other, <laughs> no. other footballer. That's why it's very, very important to have um, an education and balance the, the, the two. But back then I found it really difficult to balance because, you know, your teachers and principals back then, especially me being an Afrikaans speaking um, person mm -hmm. back then I wouldn't say well now I can speak it really pro well but um, <laughs> you know it was difficult to persuade them to give me that opportunity sure. to come back and write my exams yeah, yeah. Um, because for them football especially football wasn't a, a big sport for them um, and I've many teachers and principals tell me that um, the sport would literally not get me anywhere. Um, sure. And it was, again, it, my passion and love, and it's something that I wanted to pursue. Um, and throughout, after dropping out of school, um, I had my family take care of me, and um, any income that I would get was from from coaching on the side, okay. coaching in schools, Um you know, co coaching all kinds of different sporting codes, not only football. And I tried to introduce women's football into mm. the different schools, uh, which was many times I was rejected because it wasn't sure. a very popular sport to play for, yeah. for girls. Um, but I managed to coach cricket. Um, ah. I managed to coach um, hockey, netball that I played just for a little bit of income yeah. and also 
having to have an established name already in the senior national team, I'm, I use that name to do one-on-one coaching with, with girls. And that was my income. Sure. Um, and only at a later stage in the national team were we given, you know, an incentive. I wouldn't even say a salary because we were never oh, contracted. Wow. It's still that the national team is still not contracted um, to this still? day. It's you come in, still not contracted. We are not contracted. Wow. So we, it's <sighs> it's basically you come into, you're being selected for the national camp and for your national sure. duty, you get paid for the duration of of the time that you in the in camp um and what then obviously the bonuses that you get <laughs> yeah not many people know that but we are not contracted um, i can't believe we that contracted back then so back then we used to all be you know stand in one line and receive our envelope for the for the <laughs> little, weeks, yeah for the yeah. week's work a little incentive My which words. i was really excited and happy about and um, and that was my income. And then my first contract, actually professional contract, came at age 29 when I oh. finally got a contract at in America in the state yeah. um, in the states for Houston Dash. Um, and that was my first contract and my first paycheck that I actually sure. received um, playing football. So yeah. dreams do come true, and wow. um, whether it's at a young age or a very late later age. Um, that's why I say, you know, with 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 young girls right now playing football, they have so many opportunities right now going for them yeah, um, yeah. at every angle. You know, whether it is playing the game, whether it is you know being a presenter, whether it's being a coach. You know, there's yeah. so many opportunities for them. And back then, there weren't many. So yeah. I really grounded my career <laughs> um, through and through. Uh, many risks that I took, uh, many sacrifices that I made yeah. to get to the level that I am, you know, playing today. So, yeah. Wow. And I mean, you played in the US, you played in Glasgow, now you're in Greece. I imagine you're earning some money, hopefully, this whole time. Um, are you, what, what's the difference in terms <laughs> of like, like in terms of their structure must be, you know, super professional, all those three places compared to a South African structure, like, is it almost a miracle that we've qualified for a World Cup when, to me, it just seems like the worlds are different? I must say that, you know, we, South Africa has done so well in terms of our women's game and reaching the World Cup stage, um, especially 2019 World Cup. Um, there's so many other World Cups that we've missed out on. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you if you look at Nigeria, the powerhouses of yeah. African football, yeah. Cameroon, all those teams that also qualified for World Cup, they also have limited resources. They don't have established leagues in their countries either. I think Africa as a whole needs mm. to really develop much more. I think the gap between African football and the rest of the world yeah. has a long way to go still. Sure. Um, but slowly but surely, we are closing that gap. But without limited resources, without proper competitive leagues, we were still able to reach that level of mm. the World Cup and the Olympics um, and qualifying for, for, for such. And that's why it would take it will take a lot for South Africa um, and really any other African country to win such a major competition sure. because yeah. of lack of development and lack of resources that we have in yeah. our con- in our continent, really. 
Um, so people really expect miracles when they hear <laughs> South Africa, you know, is going to win the World Cup. That's it's not going to no. happen in in the near future. A lot has to no. be done for, in order for us to reach that. Um, but after qualifying for the Olympic Games um, in 2012 and again in 2016, I think that was for many of us our breakthrough to international level football. And that was certainly my breakthrough in international football when I was scouted for the Houston Dash yeah, in yeah. the Olympics 2016. But without such major tournaments, it's really difficult for uh, the clubs internationally, the big clubs, to actually identify the talent that we have and possess within our country. We mm. have so many girls. I mean, I think currently we have about eight or nine girls playing abroad mm. in different countries. Mm. Um, whereas a couple of years ago, they may be one or two, if that, sure. that play yeah. abroad. So our breakthrough comes when we play a, we play these major competitions. And I think, and I do believe that after this World Cup again, we would have many of our South African players playing abroad, um, being identified because of their, their talent. Um, mm. But, you know, we have a, a league that is currently running, the Hollywood yep. Bet Super League, um, which is now, has been launched uh, for two years now. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really becoming a, a competitive platform. If you look at the games, if you if you, we get to watch it now on TV, it's being mm-hmm, broadcasted, mm-hmm. it's being spoken about on social media. So the recognition in our country is becoming, for women's football, is becoming more popular. And uh, the women's game and just the women's game globally is being you know, spoken about. You hear about the UEFA Champions League. You mm-hmm. see tickets being sold out yeah. at stadium, major stadiums. So the women's game overall, globally, is is increasingly, you know, getting a lot more recognition and popular uh, in in the public eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is initially what we we always wanted. And it's the right time that now it's being elevated to such. Yeah. I mean, you spoke about Africa and you mentioned Nigeria and Cameroon. Can I ask specifically about Morocco? I mean, obviously you beat them to, to win the AFCON, uh, but they seem to be flying women and men. You know, they've got girls playing in, in English leagues and the men are doing so well. Are they doing something particularly different? And, and do you expect them to go pretty far at the World Cup? Morocco is a flying African country at the moment, and that is because they are so well invested in their teams. Um, mm. and from development structures up until their first, their first teams, their men's and women's teams. I mean, we were in Morocco for the African Women's Cup of Nations, and we we went and trained at their facility, their national facility, mm-hmm. and it was top top notch it was like you were in a european country um sure. they they had so many fields they had gym facilities they they you could see that they're really really investing in their teams and their players um, hmm. and it all comes from you know playing play investments player development from a young age and getting the right structures right um and it's something that we are currently lacking as so that's because we don't have many developing um, structures, especially for girls, if we're looking at girls specifically, women specifically. We don't have, it's just right now that we have the top teams playing in the Hollywood Bet Super League and we have the Sasa League that's been, you know, a women's (laughs) football pioneer for so so many years. But what is happening below those those leagues? It's it's really nothing. You have so many girls 
that are now interested in playing yeah. the game, but they are still playing with boys, which is not a bad thing because I think it actually increases your performance playing with the boys. But there are no structures there. There are coaches, educators put in place for these girls to actually learn mm. and educate themselves about the game. It's yeah. it's one thing of the, the girls just putting being put on a football field and playing but are they actually learning to play the game Mm -hmm. and that is the difference between where Morocco has got it right and where we still are currently lacking yeah amazing that that you say that I mean I know you've got a bit of a coaching qualification and I mean I just want to ask you about where you see yourself from here I mean I'm assuming you want to play in this World Cup but do you I don't know do you feel you're in there or do you think soon it's to coaching I suppose you're not getting younger, right? Well, I'm a bit of a, it's a bit um, catchy at the moment. I mean, I know I'm sitting at an age where, you know, one, the coach is feeling that she needs to give younger players an opportunity to play at World Cups, you know, to start off their careers, possibly get identified for bigger leagues to play in. But also on the other end, using your experienced players to really grab hold of the team, um, that players that have played at, you know, myself being at a World Cup already mm-hmm. at two Olympic Games, using that experience. I guess it's it's very difficult for the coach to decide, you know, what kind of route that she wants to, to take. I haven't been part of the preparations for yeah. the World Cup um, as, as, as late and... It's highly disappointing for me to not have been included in preparations, to be given that opportunity to see if I'm still worthy, if I could, you know, still use my experience. Am I valuable enough? I don't know. Um, It's disappointing, of course, but at the end of the day, it it is not about me. It is about the country and taking the best team possible to go and represent South Africa at the World Cup. Um, and I always wanted to be a football coach, educator, um, and stay in the game. I mean, I took risks of dropping out of school and <laughs> many sacrifices that I put aside for football. Um, there's no way I'm just going to turn my back on football. So I'm always mm-hmm. going to be within the game, whether I'm on the pitch or on the side of the pitch, you know, um, giving instructions to to other players and the younger generation so I've uh, always wanted to pursue my coaching badges and um, I'm, I'm still busy you know looking at what the next level is is UA for A license UA for pro license um, mm-hmm. and that is something that I want to do and it would happen in the near future most definitely I'm I am ready to hang my boots so they say um not yet. I think maybe uh, give myself a year or so, uh, a season to sure. continue and squeeze out the most that I can playing the game. I'm not ready to give up just yet because I feel I still can contribute to the game. Uh, whether that is retiring in South Africa, um, that is something that I would like to do um, yeah. in my home country. Um, and then start off my coaching career. Um, that is something that I definitely want to do. And um, now I have a badge to do that. I'm able to coach in the Hollywood Bet Super League. I'm able to coach in a professional club oh, that's yeah. as an assistant uh, somewhere. Um, so yeah, wherever the road may take me after my my playing career, you know, I'm I'm open to to any to anything. 
Yeah, and just in terms of that, I mean, I know you've got your own football club. Is that was that part of your vision that you you wanted to start something? I maybe not for yourself to coach, but just that can develop the game. I mean, it seems this is really where your heart lies. Yeah, I think my heart lies with first of all be having established JVW Girls Football Development or Football Club. Uh, was mainly to give opportunities to young girls and a platform for them to be identified and grow in the game. Um, that was initially it. It was established in 2012 where women's football wasn't really recognised then. Yeah. Um, but yet I wanted to see a change. I wanted to be the change in that. I wanted to have more girls partake in this game. And I slowly but surely, as I coached in in the schools, the schools, um, and being rejected by so many principals and sports coordinators within the schools, I wanted these girls to have a platform to play, which is why, you know, I created this environment for them to, to come into and being able to showcase what they love, which was football. And um, it's just grown tremendously, you know, from a, a Saturday you know, once a month Saturday development program to having it every Saturday to having it now sure. a full on program where I have about a hundred girls in the development program. Amazing. Um <laughs> in Bedford View. Ah, and yeah. also in the schools league, finally. <laughs> in in the schools league, that's where it actually started. Um knocking on doors many, many times. Um yeah. at schools, you know, having to to start a, a girls team um, and eventually got about nine or so school teams that actually wanted to start the league um, in 2012 and oh, yes. yeah there were about 323 girls that's, that that partook in this JVW schools oh. league in 2012 and currently we are sitting with over 3,000 girls partaking sure. in the JVW Schools League. So there's so many wow. new girls more playing now. And um, yeah, it's That's fantastic phenomenal. to see the growth in the game and just what I've done. But it wasn't it wasn't to coach. It was just mainly to give the girls an opportunity to actually have a platform to express themselves in the game. Sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Well done. That's an amazing story. Um, I know you said maybe you're ready Thank to retire you. and that sort of thing, but can you tell me a bit about, you know, the Olympics, but also winning AFCON? Like, that's pretty huge, you know? I mean, I remember 96 with Bafana winning AFCON. Do you feel it was comparable? Was it, did we celebrate you guys enough? Or, like, how did you feel the reception went? Oh, no, we were very, we, we were well celebrated. I remember... <laughs> Um, I mean, it's always been my dream. I mean, um, since 2005, um, up to this AFCON, it was my eighth edition um, for the AFCON. And, you know, every AFCON, I was like, we're going to win this one. We're going to win this one. We just, you know, fell short with a silver medal, with a bronze medal, with a silver medal, uh, and never that gold. And eventually now we, I can say that I finally had a gold medal around my neck. I lifted the trophy. It was an amazing feeling. And it was at the right time because women's football is exploding at the moment. Mm -hmm. Everyone was following Banyana Banyana. It wouldn't have felt as great winning it in 2010 when we hosted it uh, mm -hmm. because it was only a minority that actually followed the national team, mm -hmm. the women's team. But this time it felt bigger. It felt better. We were celebrated. We came home. 
the whole airport was packed full of people, you know, welcoming us home, celebrating us. I'm still getting goosebumps thinking about that <laughs> moment. And then obviously days after that, we were celebrated. We were on the news, we were in papers. People started following women's football. Now people are actually following women's football in our country, not only the national team, but the cl at club level. And that is something that we as a national team created. So um, I'm just so happy that we, we won that. We were crowned African champions and it was the most extraordinary feeling for me. You know, waited for so many years to actually lift that trophy and finally did. And it was an incomplete dream of mine. Um, before I retired, I always wanted to lift the African trophy. And um, I did that as, as a captain and it's just extraordinary feeling I've actually achieved everything that I wanted to achieve although there's one more that I need to achieve before I retire which I I'm pretty sure I'll get um which is being two appearances away of being holding the record for the highest footballer male or female sure. in Africa you so that is something that I am striving towards and um I'm hoping to get after before after the world cup we'll see oh you better get it i mean i'm gonna write that you gotta get it <laughs> um, i want to ask you a bit about you know you said after the afcon when i saw an article that girls must be a bit mindful of how they spend their money and i mean you've just told me the story about contracts um is you know how do you feel about pay do you would you like i mean we're so far away now it feels silly asking but should the women get equal pay to the men, given, you know, South Africa has equal rights or just what do you want to see happen? Must corporate South Africa come in? How, how can the game grow financially for women? You know, there's so many countries. You look at USA, you look at Denmark, you look at Norway. They, they all actually invested in their women's teams. And although it was a long, hard fight from the woman, actually, mm -hmm. uh, started with M Megan Rapino in, in the USA. She got it right for her country to get equal pay from the, from, from the men's side. And I believe South Africa can, can do that too, um, to have equal pay as much as the men are getting. Um, although our, our daily allowances um, have increased to the same amount as what the men do get equal pay um, in some okay. sense, but bonuses and, and so on. I think where South Africa is heading is the women and the men don't have the same sponsors, which is very difficult mm. for them to say, right, everyone's going to get equal pay. If you look at the U S national team, the whole banner is, is under, under one, sponsor right so it's yeah. easy for the sponsor to come and say we will give them equal pay mm. whereas women currently we are sponsored by by Sassel and the men are for instance sp sponsored by Castle for many mm. years mm. so it's very difficult for, for the association to come in and say the woman needs to get paid equally if it's two different sponsors so where they can either match each other um or you know mm. find a way to to sponsor but yeah, one thing that they can change is, you know, having contracts in place for, for the woman. And um, that's something that USA have, have, have got right for many years. Although USA players don't get paid a salary from their club that they 
that they represent, but they mm. get paid a monthly salary from their association. If right. they're contracted for two years, they can use that player for two years mm. in the national team or for a year or so on. Whereas very difficult with the, the South African players because we just come in and out yeah. as as we perform, really. So um, crazy. You know, if you have a, a contract in place, at least you can use that player and you can monitor that player as, as much as you want um, for a period of time, however long the contract is. Yeah. But, so do yeah, our club players get contracts? Or, or not at all our either? Our club players right now, there's only really one or two clubs oh. that that contract our players, although JBW Football Club do contract our players, but we can only for up to a year. But okay. that's that's the association rule. It can't be for up to two or three or five years. It you go year by year. So mm -hmm. if after the season's done and completed, any other club can come in and take whatever player they want, really. Right. But okay. then you only contract for, for that year. Um right. so it's very difficult because female footballers in our country, even though they play in this Hollywood Bet Super League, mm. they still, some teams don't even pay their players because of lack Jeez. of funding. They don't have sponsorships, <laughs> although the association and Hollywood Bets give a, a certain amount monthly, but that that, that is, um, covers the costs for mm, your mm. transportation from Cape Town to Johannesburg or so on, um, and your meals for your players when you when you're traveling um and that is about it so it's not really for the players to get paid so there's it's it's very difficult for some teams to to still pay their players so some players are actually still you know juggling a full -time job and yeah. playing football at the same time which is it's very difficult to do um but no i think it's only sundowns ladies that are and uwc that the, the universities mm. that fully contract their players and pay their players um, monthly and a, a good a good salary just thinking about women's sport and I mean when you mentioned professionalism I thought maybe this is not relevant but you know we're talking about things in Europe like cycle tracking women on their periods uh, how to accommodate for you know the various women things like polycystic ovarian syndrome and 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 even like an embracing of of um, different sexualities and all that sort of stuff. And Africa seems way behind that. I mean, is that a thing? Like, do you train? I don't know if I can ask you if you train differently, but is it a thing that people are concerned? Look, women's bodies are different. They have periods. They go through whatever's. Or, or is it? Do you think we're just so far behind? We're not even touching that conversation. No, I don't think it's only South Africa or Africa as a whole that is behind. I think certain countries are behind in lacking knowledge about training difference. And I'm one to say that woman, the woman's body is very different to a male's sure. body. You can only push your, a woman's body can only push so much. And if you, you look at the research and you look at the com the competitions that are currently coming in for the women's game, the UEFA Champions League, the league games, cup games that are hosted in, in Europe and so many injuries and so yes. many players that are now currently injured due to ACL injuries mm -hmm. specifically. Um, because, you know, um, 
associations and federations want to imitate the men's game yeah. for the woman. They want to give the woman as much as they are giving the men in terms of competition. But they're mm. not giving the woman the same resources as the men have. Yeah. Yeah. For instance, you have Ma Manchester City men's team that have up to eight physios taking care <laughs> of every single player every minute. They are spending wow. time with players that are injured on a daily basis for hours where you have the Man City team having two physios and they mm. have to still take care of all of the injuries at a time where they're spending less time with that injured player. So mm -hmm. so we don't have the same resources as what the men have, but we yeah. have the same competition. So sure. they are pushing the woman's body to its limit, but we can't withhold the same capacity as what the, the male mm. body can hold if that makes sense yeah a lot so, of so yes yeah. uh, you know your 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 menstrual cycle plays a huge part in female getting injured a lot mm. quicker mm. because you want to push the woman's body you want them to have strength and conditioning sessions in the morning and still perform yeah. two days later in a high intensity match you know it, it's very different um so mm. Yeah, I think that is my view on that. And I don't think it's only Africa that lacks that knowledge. Sure. But I think there's a lot of research that needs to be done in order to to fix that mentality and bring in more resources for, for the women's game. Yeah, I hadn't actually thought of it from the perspective that, you know, the, the demands are huge, right? I mean, your body must be, it is. you're 36. Like, how does your body feel day to day? <laughs> well look I'm not currently playing at that level like most other countries and teams okay. are playing right now um, but when I was in in the states playing it was a gym session in the morning um, and then you get a rest period of an hour and you're going to train again and then train later in the evening Ooh. it's a lot of demands and um you your body does take a lot of strain and people don't think about all the traveling hours and hours to get yeah, yeah. i mean you look at i recently watched the matilda's documentary i mean that is the, the australian national team and the Australia is so far away from yeah. Europe and most players play in Europe. So they week in, week out, they are competing at a high level. And then when they get called for the national team, they have to fly 18, 19 yeah. hours to get to Australia to start a, a, a training camp again and to work with the girls. So they don't have much time for their bodies to adapt to um, jet lag and to ad adapt to have their bodies rest in order to perform again the next mm. in the next two days um so they're flying back and forth and they're putting so much demand on their bodies and their minds yeah, sure. um to be able to perform and that is where you know you have a lot of injuries happening in in the women's game yeah absolutely no you're so right i know you have to go now so just i guess as a last thing um what what's your kind of wish for for women's football in the next? And you've been playing for what, but basically your whole life. So let's say in the next ten years, what would you love to see happen <laughs> and change? No, I would most definitely. We touched up on this. Is see, you know, the women's um, game being treated like the men's game, and it's slowly getting there in terms of competition being put in place. Um, also, I feel 
Um, we need financial backing in the women's game as well. Um, I know Europe, they they earn a lot of money, the women's team. Um, but if I can speak for Africa, I think a lot has to be done in Africa in terms of the women's game, in terms of the development, in terms of funding. Um, and I think, therefore, if I know South Africa has now bid for the 2027 yeah. FIFA Women's World Cup, um, I think that would be huge um, for Africa as a whole, not only South Africa, sure. because it will actually increase the like, visibility to showcase the women's game, having the best of, of the best players come into mm -hmm. Africa and play, you know, and and use it as a business model for sponsors to yeah. show that there's so many people that are enthusiastic about the women's game, that it's real. Like it is, women can play football and make money off of it don't have to juggle a full-time job and still play because they love the game mm. so much. I would like to see a women's game flourish so much where they are at the point where the men are at now that they can make it a full-time career playing football from a young age. They have opportunity to do that. And I think it is going that direction. I think it would take maybe a couple of years to get it to where the men, the men's game is. I wouldn't say that the woman, a uh, uh, female football player would earn as much as Messi or Ronaldo. I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't see that happening ever uh, in a lifetime. But in order to actually sustain a, a, a lifestyle that yeah. the men are currently, you know, sustaining themselves with, having a family, having just a full-time career out of being a professional football player. Yeah, absolutely. I hope so too. And I really hope we get that World Cup bid. So I'm starting my coverage now in 2023 to build us up until 2027. <laughs> Good. Um, thank you so I much. Really hope, I really hope. I really hope.